Let me start off this morning by asking you a question. Um, have you ever seen anybody do this before? Ching, ching, chong. <laughs> you know, I, that sounds very funny, but you know, I wanted to explain my early childhood as an immigrant. I came to the United States uh, early, mid-70s, and I started in elementary school here. And the first thing that I got from the children that I, that I went to school with was one of these. And they came out with all sorts of names. You know, um, they call me Chinaman, to Jack, to, so sorry for all those words, but I've heard all the racial slurs. Um, but as, a, as an English learner, that didn't bother me much, you know? I knew what they were saying, but I thought to myself, Chinaman, I'm not Chinese, I'm Korean. <laughs> so they would say Jack, and they'd get mad at me, and I'd say, I'm not Japanese, why are they calling me that? But at the same time, because there were a few Koreans around, not North Koreans, but South Koreans, you know. So there were a few South Koreans around, and so there was that sense of loneliness. Gosh, I wish there were more of somebody like me that I could talk to. My mom and my dad used to say when they first came here, as they were walking down the street, they would see, you know, Korean. I don't know how they saw it, but they saw Korean walking by. They would run to them and they would talk for about 30 to 40 minutes to catch up, catch up on things. But that's how, you know, in the early 70s, early, mid-70s like that, Korean immigrants were coming in, and as the years passed by, there were a lot more. But it wasn't that just a verbal abuse that I got. There was a physical, literal violence, too, because I don't know if you remember in the 70s, there was that Kung Fu, remember that, Bruce Lee? And you watch Kung Fu movies, and every day after school, most of the time, kids would come up to me and say, do you know Kung Fu? See, I did. But I said, yeah. <laughs> and the reason I did that was because it was sort of a gamble. If I did say I didn't know Kung Fu, they would try to fight me. And if I did say I was Kung Fu, most of the time they would just stay away from me. Okay, they'll walk away. But some kids would like to test their fighting skill against me and say, okay, let's fight. And so I had to weasel my way out. So I don't remember getting into fights that much. But I do remember once. One of my friends who recently came from Korea was about a month into his being staying, coming to school. And after school, these kids, they started picking on him. And I was with him. And I was like, I'm saying, let's go, let's go. But he won because he wanted to fight. And he knew not Kung Fu, but Taekwondo, OK? So he had studied Taekwondo in Korea. And so he got into a fight. But the bad news was, it wasn't just the one kid that he was fighting. Once the other kids started getting beaten up, other, other kids jumped in and he ended up getting beaten up. So afterwards he said to me, why didn't you help me? I said, are you kidding? <laughs> but as soon as I said that, both of us knew how lonely we were. You know, we're all by ourselves, all the other kids surrounding us wanting to beat us up, and that kid really got beat up. And you know, we looked at each other, and he was sort of upset with me, but what could he do, right? There were so many kids. But you know, it wasn't just the verbal abuse or the physical abuse. That's okay, you know. You get over it as a kid. But there was this learning curve, you know, learning English curve. And there was a language barrier that also made me feel sort of lonely. And it was about three months into uh, going to school. So it was three months after coming to the United States. My teacher, I still remember her name, Miss Apple. What a beautiful name, huh? Miss Apple. Ms. Apple asked a question to the class, and she said, name an insect. And I understood her. 
my English was getting better. And she said, name an insect. So I raised my hand. I said, Miss Apple. And she said, whoa, where's this guy coming from? He doesn't know how to speak English. And he's raising his hand. He's going to answer. And so she was happy to see me. She's called on me. And she said, go ahead, Peter. But just before I answer, I thought I was thinking to myself, a couple days before, when I was in an ESL class, my teacher had taught me, if you have a noun and, and you put an article before it, A, and, and the. And one thing I stood out was, if the noun begins with a vowel, you put an, and, right? So, oh, I'm going to answer an ant. Okay? So, I said, Miss Apple, an ant. Right? And then as soon as I said that, the whole class broke out in laughter. I was like, what did I do wrong? Right? Well, let me see if you can figure it out. Okay. Let me say it in a Korean accent. Maybe that'll help you, okay? Annette. Annette. Okay? So they were laughing. I'm thinking, what did I say wrong? Okay? Annette. Annette. But nobody understood it, I guess. And they started broken on laughter. And then I happened to see this one girl sitting in her seat. She wasn't the only one that was laughing. She was red. She was upset. Of course, Miss Apple was upset, too. You know why she was upset? That's the second clue. Her name was Annette. So when I say Annette in Korean accent, everybody thought I said that Annette was an ant, <laughs> insect. So my Korean accent turned Annette into an insect that day. And so the whole class broke out in laughter. But the, for me, I wanted to justify myself. I wanted to say to Miss Apple, no, that's not what I meant. I wanted to say to the whole class, no, and that was, that's not her. No, that's not what I was trying to say. But my English was very limited, and I felt so alone. There was nobody to come into my defense, even to translate for me to say, no, Peter did not say Annette. Peter said, and Aunt. Thank goodness I could pronounce that now. <laughs> but you know what I mean. A lot of us, we have incidents in our lives or situations where, very, where we feel very alone. It doesn't have to be an immigrant experience. It could be at work. It could be at, even at home. Maybe you are a stay-at-home mom with three kids or two kids, and you're struggling with those kids all day. And you want some interaction with grown-ups, not just one or two-year-olds. Maybe you're at work, and your boss and your coworkers they have no idea what you're talking about. And they don't understand. I want to show you a picture of, oh, there we go. This was about two months ago. Came on the news and hit the social media. Nine-year-old, it reads this way. The letter goes, Mrs., would you consider to become my friend? I am 90 years old, live alone, and all my friends have passed away. I am so lonesome and scared. Please. I pray for someone, Wanda Mills. She left this note, letter, to a neighbor, a uh, 37-year-old woman by the name of Marlon Brooks. She came home and found this letter. It turns out uh, Wanda Mills been living in this house for 51 years. Husband, her husband died, her sister died, and her, one of her sons died, and the other son is living out of state. And the one son that's close by, which lives next door, he hardly ever comes to visit. And she's reaching out saying, could you be my friend? Of course, 
you know, the lady who got the letter went and made friends, and even after she left home, went into a convalescent home, she continued to visit. Thank God for that. But you see, I think this letter verbalizes what a lot of us feel nowadays. You know, I see my kids and some of their friends, they're spending so much time alone in front of the computer rather than going out to play with other friends. My daughter said, my friend who's 15, she's driving already. I want to embarrass two of my sons, one of them is in here this morning. He still hasn't had a license yet. That's part of my fault. <laughs> He's 20, almost becoming 20, turned 19 lately, but he still hasn't got his license yet. But a lot of his friends are like that. They rather stay in front of the computer, play games all day. And what they don't realize is that it creates more of being alone. But it's not just teenagers. A lot of people, maybe they're, they're not able to verbalize it, like Wanda here. But they're so lonely, thinking, where are, where are the people that I care about? Why aren't they reaching out to me rather than reaching out? Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines loneliness as with the being without company. And as I was reading that definition, I thought to myself, that's an oxymoron. Loneliness is an oxymoronic word. Right? If all the lonely people came out of their lonely closets, they'll be the majority. They just won't admit it. Right? If all the lonely people got together, they'll be happy together. Wow, you know, because we have something in common. But when they're by themselves, thinking that no one cares for them, that no one is with me. So what does God have to say about loneliness? Well, in verse 1, we read, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, if you, the text that I, I, I chose this morning, and I jumped to verse 16 and 18, that all encompasses one thing, and that is to say, God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, is with you all the time. That you do not need to be lonely. That no matter what you're going through, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall feel no evil, for you are with me. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is with you, no matter where you are. And so Jesus begins by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God. Why? God is with you. The creator of this universe is with, is with you. I got a call the other day, and, 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 he, and he said, oh, you know, I shared, I'm so excited about sharing, sharing my faith, and I was just talking to my brother about Jesus, and my brother was upset and said, how could one person be able to create this whole universe? How do you answer that, Peter? And I said, well, I don't think one person creates the universe, but I know God can, right? God is the creator. He created the universe. But what's interesting is that that creator who created you is very much interested in you, and he is with you. You're not alone. And then Jesus continues. He says, believe in God. Maybe you can't identify with God. Well, then believe in me. And then he gives, there's a key word there. It says, do not be troubled. That word trouble appears three times before this event. First one comes when Lazarus' friend was dead. And that Jesus purposely delays going to see Lazarus for two days. 
And then when he finally gets there, Martha comes out first greeting him. And then Martha takes Jesus to the house. And Mary hears that Jesus is here. So she runs out. All the, and all the professional mourners that come with it, you know, when there's a, a funeral or there's someone's death in the family. So they're all crying, including Mary. And Jesus troubled in his heart. And the Bible even said he weeped. He was disturbed. He understood Mary. Right? How lonely she felt when her brother passed away. And so the word trouble appears with Nazareth. Second time the word trouble appears in heart is is when Jesus is contemplating his own death. He knows he's going to have to go to the cross. So he says, my soul is troubled. So in facing death, he feels lonely, he feels troubled, he says, so I, my soul is troubled. Third time this word appears is when Judas betrays Jesus. Judas Notice Judas sells him for 30 coins of silver, right? And knowing that Judas is going to betray him, Jesus' heart is troubled. So there's a death with the friend, imminent death of himself, and then there's a death of a friendship. And you know what? Death is a very lonesome thing. And when you are facing death, you are all alone. Even if you're surrounded by people who love you, they're at your best side, they're not dying, you are. How can they know what you're going through? Even if you explain to them, they won't know. But here's the thing. God could be with you even in death. You are not alone. You know why? Jesus, went, Jesus Christ went through death and he didn't stop there. He came back alive. And when he did, he understands us even in our death because he went through it. If he didn't come back to life, that would be a you know, big thing. But he did. And because he resurrected, even in death, he is with you. And then he goes on to say, I'll send you another. I'll ask, my, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or a comforter to be with you forever. As if God is not enough, as if Jesus himself is not enough, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. As a physical being, I can't be with you all the time, right? As a physical body. So you know what? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And we know Holy Spirit is with us. On the day of the Pentecost, Holy Spirit came and dwelt among his believers. So Holy Spirit is always with us. But you know what? I found something interesting after this. I thought he would stop here. But look at this. I will not leave you. In verse 18, I will not leave you orphan. I am coming to you. Now, nursery, I visit my wife. Is, my wife is in the nursery. And then when the baby, or the, a lot of the babies, when they first come to that nursery, you know, they don't want to be separated, right? There's a separation anxiety, and they don't want to let go. And mom and dad pushes them off. They're crying. They just walk out. You know, they come in, kind of, kind of look, and inside, oh, she's crying. Oh, walk in. My wife and whoever else is volunteering inside is holding the baby, crying. After a while, they get comforted. But why do they cry? There's that separation anxiety. But can you imagine if you're a child and your orphan, your mom and dad passes away? What a tragedy that is. What kind of feeling, that loneliness that you would feel, even if you had an uncle or an aunt who would take care of you. There is no one that could replace 
mom and dad. And Jesus clearly understands this and says, I will not leave you orphans. Right? There's, a, there's God with you, Holy Spirit with you. Well, I, but he asks, I'm coming to you. I'm coming back. So you know what? There's that God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And says, you know, are you still not comforted? Well, think about this. I'm coming to you. So Jesus reinserts himself to say, you are not alone. What, what does this mean practically? How can we experience God all the time that way? You know, we know that God is with us. Nobody would deny that. We know that Jesus is with us and Holy Spirit is always with us. But how do we experience it? So let me make a couple suggestions here. Okay? I would say, since God, we're talking about God being with us, let's start with God. Listen to God's voice every day. As Christians, we all know that we hear God, right? We would agree with that. Okay. I mean, in fact, let's try this. If you would, if you would allow, if you would indulge me, let's let's close our eyes. Okay, and imagine with your eyes closed, find the most comfortable place, whether that's at Starbucks or it's in your dining room or somewhere. Close your eyes. Just imagine yourself there, and pretend to see Jesus there. See, he's sitting next to you or across from you. Okay, as you're pretending, imagine like that way. Right? Listen to what God says. Do not. Let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You can open your eyes now. Did you hear God just now? Huh? Some of us did. Well, hopefully all of us did. See, most of the time when we think of hearing God's voice, we, we, we expect some sort of mysterious, you know, voice that comes from heaven or some thunderous voice and say, Peter! Or, you know, we want to hear something like that. But that's not normative, is it? Right? We don't hear God that way. But the way we hear God's voice each and every day is through His Word. And so what do we need to do? Read the Bible. Okay? And while reading the Bible, let God speak to you. It seems strange to me that most Christians would listen to God's voice or reading the Bible to a professional. Somebody who's been seminary trained, pastor, okay, and to say to them, you know, I, I read the Bible and I don't understand. And so we hear God as a hearsay, secondhand, right? Whether we come to church or whether we go to Bible study, we hear about what God is saying through somebody else. Well, if you don't understand what the Bible says, well, who wrote the Bible? Holy Spirit inspired man so that they could write it down, right? So Holy Spirit is the author. So if you don't understand what the Word of God says, well then instead of going to the professional who studied in the seminary, who should you go to? You should go to the Holy Spirit, the author, and expect Him to explain that to you. Isn't that what the Bible says? I'm the teacher, Holy Spirit is the teacher? But you see, a lot of times we have relegated that to church leaders or pastors, or seminary professors. And we ourselves, when we approach the Bible, wow, that's really hard to understand. I remember my mom telling me once, and because I, I couldn't go to sleep that night, she came to my room and she said, Peter, read the Bible and then you can go to sleep. Mom, Bible's not supposed to make you feel sleepy. Okay? <laughs> 
right? And you read the Bible, and it's kind of boring at times when you get to certain sections of the Bible. Like, for example, Matthew or Luke, when he lists all the genealogy, you know, the names of people that you can't even pronounce. Well, sometimes that might bore you, right? But it's not supposed to make you sleepy, mom. <laughs> so I said to her. And sometimes we as Christians, we approach Bible that way. Because I don't understand it. Or because, you know, it's, it's kind of boring to read. Oh, well. I, I meet with a group of people. There's one who's not a Christian. But he comes to the meeting all the time. Every week. Or once a week. And then there's two other Christians that are there. And we started... Uh, we, we decided that we're going to read, I challenged them and said, we're going to read 25 to 30 chapters a week. So automatically, the Christian, I saw some of them like that, but automatically, the Christians have the same reaction. That's too much, 25, 30, oh my goodness. But the non-Christian, he had no clue. He said, okay. So the following week, the following week, I went around asking, who read? Right? The other, the, the two Christians, oh, I read about halfway. Oh, I didn't finish. Guess what the non-Christian said? I finished. In fact, I finished it last night. It was a Saturday night. We met on Sunday. I, I, I read it all last night. As if it was nothing. Right? They didn't have a preconceived notion as to what it was. They just read it. And in fact, I said, so what did you gain out of it? And he started talking about certain things. And I've heard a Christian spiritual insight from a non-Christian. Can you believe that? He read the Bible and he explained to me about what he read and what he thought about it, and it was a spiritual truth. And I said to him, are you sure you're not a Christian? <laughs> most of us, most of the Christians, we come up with this preconceived notion and we think that Bible is boring and so we shouldn't, it's hard for us to read. Maybe I'll, I'll read verse or two a day. Okay? I have a couple groups that I meet with that so I try to all get them to read one book. You know, it was John, that group that I talked about, one person who's not a Christian read John. I met another group. What do you guys want to read? I was hoping John, John, John. And I was going to say, John, just about to say that somebody said, let's read Hebrews. So now I have to read John, 25 chapters, or 22 chapters, and there was 20 some odd chapters in John. And I also have to read Hebrews. And I said, Hebrews only has 13 chapters. That means you have to read twice before we meet. Then I have to read John and Hebrews twice. <laughs> But that's okay. I want to read because as I read more, I hear God's voice in my life. That's the number one way God speaks to us. Do you want to hear God's voice in your life? Read the Bible. Right? This sounds very simple, but not many of us practice. Secondly, since God is with, God is with you all the time, now we talk about Jesus. We need to work on our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to work on our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 6 of this chapter, it reads, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus says, I am the way, he's not saying, I'm a street sign that points to heaven. He's not saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a signpost that points to heaven. Neither is he a road or highway or freeway that leads to heaven. No, Jesus himself is the destination. God the Father is the ultimate destination. So when he says, I am the way, he's speaking about himself. No, come to me. I want to have a relationship with you. You know, I, I, I'm beginning to share 
as much as I can to people who don't know Christ, and, and I want to share the gospel with them. But as I was growing up, I was trained in uh, the four steps, four spiritual laws, CCC had that, and they also had that bridge, and you, you go through the steps. And I've done that many times with, you know, total stranger. I would walk up to him and challenge him and say, are you a Christian? And, and then talk about it. And then sometimes I did go through the four steps and then even led those people into prayer. You know what that did? Made me feel real good. Yes, I got another person saved, right? But I don't know what happened to those people. I'm sure hoping that person has continued to develop a relationship with God and they're walking you know, faithfully in their Christian walk today. But I don't really know what, what they have gone through after I left, feeling, oh, great, because I prayed the sinner's prayer with that person. It might feel good to me. I don't know what happened to that person. But as a pastor, I'm realizing more and more, it's not enough just go through the sinner's prayer, but walk with that person continually. Help that person to develop relationship with Jesus so that that person having a relationship with Jesus would lead others into relationship with Jesus. So in order for you and I to lead others into relationship with Jesus, guess what? You're going to have to have good relationship with Jesus. I like this verse. Verse 16. And I will, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Most of the time when we read this verse, we think of another advocate being the Holy Spirit. So that's why I made the, another capitalized and made it big. Because that suggests to me, prior to the Holy Spirit, there is a person, right? In order for me to say another, there's a prior person. Who's that? Jesus. Did you know? Jesus never left you. Sure, he died physically and he went up to heaven before God. But in spirit, he never left us. So when he says, he will give you another advocate, I'm still here. I will always be with you. What does that mean? He wants to have a relationship with you. He knows what you've been going through because he went through it all. He came in a physical form and he died and resurrected and went up to heaven. But in spirit, he's still with us. So he said, I'll give you another comforter, but I want you to realize I want you to have a relationship with me. Finally, the last person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, not the least. You know, Holy Spirit... We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Not just one moment, moment in our lives, but constantly. It's like, well, let me see, this word, verse 17. Holy Spirit abides with you and will be in you. Holy Spirit continues to dwell in us. But here's the good news. If you could imagine yourself to be a cup, and if you could imagine Jesus, the Holy Spirit being the water, and this Holy Spirit coming out of the faucet, and is always open, it never closes. So as Jesus was speaking to that woman at the well, it's like, out of the living water overflowing, and that's the kind of image that I have about Holy Spirit living, abiding in me. I don't want to just contain Holy Spirit in me and keep it, keep it safe so it doesn't spill, right? No, but rather I want this cup to overflow, the Holy Spirit to overflow in my life so that I might reach out to others. You know, the Bible tells us to help the poor, you know, help the needy. Well, the Holy Spirit job, the Holy Spirit helps us and, and, and help me, we as Holy, led by the Holy Spirit, we were to help the poor, help the needy. But you know, as we help the poor and help the needy, it's not the Holy Spirit's job to 
make the poor rich. Right? It's not Holy Spirit's job, our job, to make the suffering, stop suffering, right? We can't. And that's not the Holy Spirit. What Holy Spirit does, he uses us to point that person who's hurting, point that person who's in need, point that person who's poor to relationship with Jesus Christ so that they might themselves, through the Holy Spirit, come out of their you know, poverty or their hurtfulness or whatever. And so Holy Spirit comes within us, and by overflowing in us, then we're able to reach out. That's when we experience power of the Holy Spirit, and that's when we know that we are not alone. And I thought about to myself, well, this sounds very individualistic, right? We, we get, we, if you think about it, I'm not, I'm, I'm not alone anymore because I know that God is with me, that oh, Jesus is always with me, the Holy Spirit is with me. Well, that sounds great, but that's just me. What can we do as a church? So I want us to imagine, if you will, what our church would look like if every one of us start acting and moving with the fact that we hear God's voice every day, have relationship with Jesus every day, and know that the Holy Spirit's in us and start reaching out to everybody every day. You know what would happen? Oh, what happened, Ethan? <laughs> the white screen happened. Did you turn it off? It's an important verse, and I wanted to end with that. Sorry. <laughs> the verse comes in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. We're very familiar with that verse, aren't we? So just imagine with me, if you will. If you know that you're not alone because God the Father is with you, that Jesus is with you, that the Holy Spirit is with you, and that you are to hear God's voice, that you are to have a relationship with Christ, and you are to start reaching out to the Holy Spirit, you know what? When we come together and gather as a church, what are we having? We are loving one another because we're obeying God's command. And therefore, if you come to church, or maybe you might be feeling lonely that day, you come to church on Sunday. Wow. Through love for one another, we realize that we are not alone. And that's why Jesus commands, love one another as I have loved you. Amen? Let us pray.